Well, hello, here we are then uh, to passing the baton number 44 and it's the 18th of December 2010. And our title for the end of the year is The Challenge. And here's a quote from Hebrews 5 verse 14, New King James Version. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's pray then, shall we, before we begin. Father, thank you. Father, thank you all things come of you and of thine own do we give thee. Thank you, Father, that for the place you've put us in, in Christ, and Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, help us. Here we are at the end of the year, we want to ask you to bring us to the place where your love governs us and controls us in every area of our lives. Where we walk in the love of God and give it away. Where no one is safe from a blessing. Where we carry the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go. Where his life is fully manifested through us. So we ask, Father, that you'll reveal to us where this word is speaking to us, to cleanse us and purify us. Pursue us, Father, for Jesus' sake. Work in us, so that when we face the pressures of life, we choose to do your will, not our own. That we become a people who desire to please you and live under your smile above everything else that we may be ambassadors for you who celebrate you and show who you really are in all your brilliance and glory and beauty, that the gospel may again be put forth as the good news, not the all right news or the not so bad news. Deliver us, Father, from our weaknesses as we choose to cooperate with your Holy Spirit. Cause us to respond in such a way that you will be able to give us the nations as our inheritance as you so desire. May Jesus see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Here we are then at the end of a year where there have been very difficult circumstances I know for some of you. But it's been a year uh, where we have examined in detail God's intentionality, his purposefulness towards us and ours towards him. The word at the end of this year then is for those who have decided that they want to count in the kingdom, who want their lives to be a contribution, who have determined that they want to be champions, who run harder, go faster, climb higher and endure longer than those around them. Lovers of the nature of God and carriers of his joy. This word, beloved, is a challenge to us all to live life on a totally different plane. And I want this month to look at part of our inheritance in Christ. So first of all, let me spell out a few things that I believe our inheritance contains. You may differ and you may have more, but these are just a few and they are for me the major ones to flag up. So the first one is overcoming ourselves and our personal circumstances. That's part of our inheritance. The second one is maturity in relationships one with another. The third one is victory over the enemy. The fourth one, living in Matthew 6.33, seeking first and only the kingdom of God in our lives. From which will come the fifth one, mental and emotional health and well-being. And the sixth, physical strength, endurance and stamina to run that race. And the result of this will be spiritual growth, fruitfulness and usefulness. And the last one is that we will finish well. You do know, don't you, it's not about how you start, but how you finish. 
As we grow in these things, the kingdom will be apparent in our lives, the reign and rule of the King of Love. All the teaching of the past 12 months has brought us to this place where we begin to make choices, decisions that define us. So this month we'll be looking at that most important of issues, our inheritance, and specifically how immaturity in our relationships one with another affects our inheritance because immaturity in this or any other area will affect our ability to come into the fullness of the kingdom and the abundance that Father wants us to enjoy. So we can't neglect any one of those that I listed. Everyone should be working in our lives and we should be progressing in each area to a greater or lesser extent. It's our inheritance, beloved, to live in the favour and blessedness that characterised Jesus whilst he walked on this earth. As he is, so are we in this life. That's the goal and the intention of the Father to reproduce the Son in us. And there is available to us a continuous promotion, an ongoing upgrade in the spirit. There is a divine advantage to be had into which we need to step. The prince has come and kissed his bride awake. As I said last month, she's got the dress, she's got the prince, and now she has to learn to live like a princess. She has to learn to live in all the glory and authority and provision that, that being married to the prince bestows upon her. Whilst there's division and strife among us, we will not know fullness, abundance or divine favour. And this is the challenge before us today. And as we know, crisis always leads to process. So if you find yourself having a crisis, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because you are about to enter process. The process begins when God does something new in our lives. It's a series of steps that takes us from that place of challenge to the place of completion. And between the challenge and the completion we're being conformed to his image. Everything he does in our lives is to that end. God is totally, incredulously biased towards us. It's called favour. It's totally unfair because he is totally favoured towards us. And we are called to live in that place of favour and blessedness as much loved children, not to ponder on the pools of mediocrity which entangle the world. There is such an inheritance available to us that we need to be awakened as the sleeping beauty of God in order that we may come into all that he has for us in these days. We are in a new era, a new time in God, a new dispensation. We are not in a new season. Seasons come and go. We are in a new time period. And the devils fear and flee because they know their time is at hand. We're in the dispensation of the fullness of time, the time of the end. It's now or never, folks. I love the book of Colossians. Here Paul addresses the saints with love, thanksgiving and encouragement. And in the New American Standard it's, it's headed up thankfulness for spiritual attainments. And I'm reading from Colossians 1 1 to 1 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world it is also constantly bearing fruit and increasing, 
even as it has as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras our fellow our beloved fellow bond servant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf and he also informed us of your love in the spirit for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. God has brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now he wants to establish that light in us. And I echo Paul in asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk worthy of the Lord, increasing in the knowledge of God, pleasing him in all respects and bearing fruit. A little phrase here, pleasing him in all respects, is about being centred centered on Jesus, not on anything else. We need to become those in whom the Father is pleased. Every branch in him that bears fruit he prunes. Pruning is part of his care of us in order that we might be fruitful. John 15 verse 2 in the Amplified Any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit that stops bearing he cuts away, trims off, takes away, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit, to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. There is always a process and a progress with God. And we see it here. More, richer, and more excellent fruit. If we are to grow up in all things in Christ, we will have to feel those pruning shears. <laughs> Whenever the pruning shears in the form of a new truth comes to us, it always makes us uncomfortable for a season. But then the fruit comes. Part of our growth in understanding is coming to recognize afresh how God carries out his will in this world. We may be the most significant generation. This may be the generation upon whom the ends of the world comes. If this is the case, we need of all people to be both alert and responsive to all that he's doing in the earth in this time. Individually and collectively we need to hear him, respond to him and adjust our lives accordingly. The Father is very serious about the whole issue of inheritance and birthright. Spiritually, we stand to inherit the kingdom, just as Israel was to inherit the promised land. And Jesus told us in Luke 12:32, Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we need to begin to live as those who are going to inherit a kingdom. That makes you a king. It is part of our inheritance therefore to receive the kingdom as our inheritance and walk in all the things that Jesus walked in and do greater things than these. But as in everything else, receiving is not automatic. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, for instance, will block your ability to receive the good things Father wants to give you. So the truth of our inheritance can affect us positively or negatively. If it affects us negatively, it simply means 
there are things which yet need to be dealt with or healed. When anything hits home in us, it's good even if it doesn't feel good. And it's often the very catalyst for change which we need to move us from one place to another. It's time, beloved, for us to grow up in the things of God and become a company of people who no longer need continual pastoring and counselling to keep us on track. It's time for us to take responsibility for ourselves, our conduct and our behaviour and grow up in all things in Christ. We've seen we can't stay in the place of blaming others for our stagnation. It's entirely up to us to make the choices and follow through in order that we may grow up into the maturity that Father is looking for. Seeing people as God sees them, loving what God loves and hating what he hates, having the mind of Christ. Relational maturity essentially is learning firstly to control ourselves not to react to circumstances, situations and people, but to respond to God, training ourselves to keep our mouths shut and our hearts open until love, mercy and compassion rise. This is the essence of relational maturity and it takes time. How long depends entirely on your responses as God asks or challenges you. Keep in mind as you follow this study that much of the relational battle is won by the miraculous control of the tongue. Not what you did say, but what you didn't say. When we learn to control our mouths we may be surprised by the degree of maturity that follows. Waiting for mercy and compassion to rise changes your heart's attitude to people and situations. So what's the missing piece? Walking in the Spirit is about displacement. Displacing your old nature with the nature of Christ. Yielding constantly to the Spirit of God within. That he might increase, that you might decrease. God is in us, both to will and to do, Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippian church. Let him, allow him, to have his way in you. The more God-conscious you are, the less self-conscious you will be. The more you focus on what you are not, the more irritable, joyless, anxious and miserable you will become. This teaching is designed to cause you to see where you need an upgrade in your relationship with him. Focus and intimacy are essential. He's designed this life so that you cannot do it alone. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing and I mean nothing. Gotcha. He's just got you. Staying attached to that vine is not an option. So as you continue with this teaching, remember that he only deals with us from our position in Christ, in the vine, that he sees you in the beloved, the beloved in the beloved, so relax and enjoy the journey. He considers the old you dead and buried, he will not speak to that. His work is to establish his righteousness in you with abundant grace and joy. Holiness is not about dealing with sin, beloved. It is about loving righteousness. Loving to do the right thing, saying the right word, not loving to do the wrong thing or speaking a wrong word. You will not desire to do the things you did if you become more and more captivated with him. This is a love walk. When you spend your time focusing on what you are not, you become self-conscious. When you focus on your DNA in Christ, you become God-conscious. When you try to put yourself right, you become self-conscious. 
you become involved with that dead thing. When you become involved with the righteousness of Christ, you become involved with life. You become involved with the goodness and grace of all that heaven allows. Take responsibility for what God has done in Christ. Live from that place and the revelation will release powerful new experiences of love and grace which will eclipse the old and your heart will become filled and sing with celebration and majesty. Guaranteed. The key is to learn to love the process and embrace it with joy. So the goal of process, as always in spiritual terms, is displacement. Everything is already yours. Be overwhelmed. It guarantees your next upgrade. Begin then to live there, in the grace, favour, love, blessing and beneficence of God towards you. Rejoice if this area reveals areas, this word reveals areas he wants to change. Be exceedingly joyful. You are being transformed by his own hand into the likeness of Jesus. Willing cooperation is pivotal. You have been saved, you are being saved and you will be saved. Conversion is an ongoing process, you know. It's not a one-off experience. It is the changing of the direction of your love from the temporal to the eternal and the joy that is set before you. As you rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances, upgrades become freely available to you. You are taking your place in Christ where your favour eradicates all the negatives in your life and you are in a continual state of upgraded experiences, living from heaven to earth. Brilliant! In every circumstance there is an inbuilt summons to an improvement and an upgrading in our experience of him, a call to come up higher. So allow this teaching to challenge you and rise up because it is that rising up within which will reveal what the Lord wants to be for you in this next season, in this circumstance. He's always making overtures to us that demonstrate his love, joy and favour over our lives. He loves his people. Just what is it he wants to be for you right now? <clears throat> Some of you have suffered bereavements in this last year. Suppose he wants you to know him as your comforter in this situation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.3 3 in the Amplified Bible, You show and make obvious that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We always lead with our heart. Our heart comes first. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. So don't receive this teaching as law, beloved. Switch off now if you're going to receive this as a set of rules. Allow it to speak to your heart. Open that heart. Allow it to release you into his grace and favour. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. How long will you resist his patient tapping on the door of your heart? This is an inwrought work and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to enable you to regain your inner territory and come into everything that Jesus has won for you on the cross. God never speaks to our head without first opening up our heart. The inner man 
has insight into the inner workings of God. Perception or awareness then leads to understanding and as our mind is renewed it begins to track with our heart. In every situation we encounter it involves a relational invitation to experience him and know who he wants to be for us in the now. He is the I am not the I was. So again I say to you, what does he want to be for you beloved right now? Maybe just stop this CD right now and engage your heart with him and find out just what and who he wants to be for you right now as we finish one year and go into another. Let's first take a look then at what Paul lists as things that will prevent us from experiencing our inheritance. There are two lists as I see it. The first is in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, misled, neither the impure and immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers and thieves, nor greedy graspers, nor drunkards, nor foul-mouthed revilers and slanderers, nor extortioners and robbers, will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Unrighteous, wrongdoers, impure, immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, swindlers and thieves, greedy graspers, drunkards, foul-mouthed revilers, slanderers, extortioners or robbers. I make it. The second is in Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the doings, practices, um, in the Amplified here, of the flesh are clear, obvious, they are immorality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill-temper, selfishness, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So now we've got immorality, impurity, indecency, sexual sins, idolatry, sorcery, spiritual sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill-temper, selfishness, divisions, dissensions, party spirit, false loyalty to something or someone other than Jesus, envy, all those are fleshly sins, drunkenness, carousing and the like, and these are sins of the carnal nature, satisfying the desires of the body. So you've got three sections there. And at first I thought that they were the same, but on closer examination, I see that the lists only repeat themselves in immorality, impurity and drunkenness. And when Paul says and the like, he means anything else that I haven't spoken of and you jolly well know shouldn't be there. So according to these lists there are about 25 to 30 different behaviours which can affect our inheritance and prevent full entrance of the kingdom into our lives and it's indeed remarkable how few of them are duplicated. The truth has come. Any of these can be a trap to any one of us. What Paul is speaking about is not the occasional lapse into these behaviours, but a persistent, insistent, deliberate way of life. But he also makes the point that we're no longer to live like this. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Such were some of you. You were like that. The inference being, but you're not now, because he says, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. 
So if we are persistently involved in sexual misconduct, it's clear beyond a shadow of doubt that the kingdom is not being manifested in us or through us. The coming of the kingdom brings authenticity, purity, honesty, integrity and transparency within us. We cease lying to ourselves. Did you know it's perfectly possible to deceive yourself about what you're doing? But specifically I want to talk today about relational maturity because this is what is part of your inheritance. The things which will prevent or delay you from inheriting in this area, they're listed uh, and they all come from the inner man. I'll list them again in a moment. The thought life and then the tongue. Because what's on the inside, does this habit of coming out. What you think about and dwell upon will come out of your mouth. So let's look at them. Nasty list it is. Enmity, hostility, hate, antagonism, bad feeling. Strife, trouble, conflict, discord, contention, fighting, friction and rivalry. Jealousy, covetousness, resentment, suspicion, distrust. Anger, annoyance, irritation, rage, antagonism. Ill temper, bad humour, irritability, displeasure. Divisions, dissensions, making splits in the body, disagreements leading to open conflict. Party spirit, factions, sex with peculiar opinions, heresies. Envy, jealousy, greed, desire, spite. Foul mouth, needs no explanation. Slander, to insult, malign, libel, slur, smear, disparage, vilify and defame. Don't ever let any of us be guilty of that one. If I am ignorant of anything on the list, it doesn't excuse me. It's my personal responsibility to know what God's, God expects of me and to do it. You do know, don't you, libel is written defamation of character, but slander is when you speak it. We'll have a look at that when we look at the Psalms of Ascent. And we all know that ignorance of the law is no excuse. If a policeman stops me when I'm travelling at 70 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, he will not accept that I didn't know I was breaking the law. He will slap a ticket on me and fast. We all know we can lose a battle without losing the war. If everyone who ever did one of these things had lost their inheritance, there'd only be you and me left, let's face it. I emphasise that that which will cost you in kingdom terms is allowing such a way of life to continue without check, without bringing some control into your life. We aren't talking about an occasional lapse, we are talking about self-control. And the Father has given us the blessed Holy Spirit to take us through this minefield we can come out on the other side as a people who understand something about the expectations of the Father that isn't legalistic or based on a set of rules because it's written on fleshy tablets of the heart. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll do what I ask. You'll love me, you'll obey me. Love is the foundation. If your love for him is such that you choose to avoid anything that will bring damage to that relationship, that doing any of these things distresses you because it could separate you from him, even momentarily, you won't find this teaching difficult. It all comes down to that focus and intimacy in relationship with him. When I love someone, I don't want to upset them because I, I don't want to break that relationship. So I work hard not to, because I love them. It means I have to keep my mouth shut sometimes. So we're back to focus, intimacy and abiding and your come alongside friend to help you 24-7. He loves to talk to you about Jesus. 
another imperative for this new season that we are in is that we must get to know the Holy Spirit as a person. You should have three relationships, you know. The relationship with the Father, the relationship with your Bridegroom, Jesus, and your coming King, who you're going to share the throne with, your joint heir. This is all about preparing you for being ready for that when you take up your position to reign and rule with him and the Holy Spirit who enables you to do it. So this is what will keep you from doing evil. Your love relationship with him and your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 10-12 in the New American Standard Bible says this one, says this, For the one who desires life, to love and good, see good days, must keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. That's active. He must seek peace and pursue it. That's active. You run after peace and you pursue it. You don't sit there and wait for it to come to you like a cow pat on your head. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And the Holy Spirit is a genius at all this stuff. As you cooperate with him, he will enliven your conscience, your God consciousness, to be aware that what you're thinking and saying is not kingdom stuff and it's endangering your ability to inherit. He is so for you, beloved. He wants you to win. He wants you to inherit. He wants you to receive those eternal rewards. So controlling ourselves in the area of the tongue is not an option. Believe me, you, we can destroy with our mouths that which we have taken years to build. Consider this cautionary tale. There was a missionary who'd been on the field for some 26 years. He was attempting to build a church, literally build a physical church, for the local people. The bugs were crawling on him, the helpers were few and they weren't much help, and the heat was intense. Finally, the anger built in him. He picked up a crowbar and he beat the wall, he beat the door and he walked off. The people watching were stunned. Later, other leaders came to him and said, we've lost confidence in you and your leadership. He returned home, a broken and disillusioned man. 26 years went down the chute because he could not control his frustration and anger. Is there a historical parallel? There sure is. Come with me to Numbers 20, 9 to 12. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Moses lost his inheritance through an uncontrolled outburst of anger. He was told to speak to the rock and he struck it twice. But you notice that Father still blessed the people even though Moses lost his inheritance there. There's no question about his salvation. It's not a matter of eternal loss. He was forgiven. But the entry into the promised land which he'd sought for so long was denied him. He traded his inheritance for the gratification of telling the children of Israel just exactly what he thought of them, you rebels. 
Beloved, these are serious matters and they are not for babes. This message is for those who are of full age, who are actively seeking to walk in the love, mercy and grace of God. Your will will be engaged to do this. You will be making conscious and deliberate choices and you will be following them through. This isn't a decision made out of some sort of emotion on Sunday morning and forgotten by Monday. Hebrews 5:13 and 14, New King James Version. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Oh, the joy of full salvation, glory, glory to his name. Beloved, do not stop and miss his best. And Romans 5, 1 to 6, uh, New American Standard Bible. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Here's a progression again. We exult in tribulation, knowing that that brings about perseverance, and perseverance, that forgotten thing, character, and character brings forth hope. So we're justified by faith, peace with God, we stand in grace, we exult in hope, we have the goods, let's get on with it. It's brilliant. The more the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, the more we come into the fullness of our inheritance. It is your inheritance to be both alive and free. And it doesn't mean doing as you please. It means living under the royal law of love. And it's a process that will last with us until Jesus comes. Romans 13, 8 in the new international version that came out in 2010. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Our behaviour, our conduct and our response to the expectations of the love of God within us is what determines the extent of our inheritance in this life. The more we allow him to love us and love through us, the more the kingdom will may be made manifest in us. In and through, always the same. He cannot do through you what he has not been able to do in you. Our promise from God is the nations for our inheritance. The frightening thing is that in our present condition, if he gave it to us, we'd probably fight over it due to our lack of maturity in relationships. If we want God to give us what he's promised, we must grow up enough to receive the promise. It's not automatic. It depends on our choices both breakthrough and follow through, step by step process. And he's saying like we say to our babies, come on then, come on then, you can do it. He's always encouraging you, calling you up higher, come up higher. 
If we harden our hearts to the process, we will eventually lose out on our inheritance, but not our salvation. Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So you prove whether you are a disciple or not by your love. It clearly states if you are a disciple you will love others and men will know it by your love, not by your works, by your love, your works of love. John fifteen seventeen. This I command you, that you love one another. And this is a commandment, beloved, it's not a request. Without growing up in true love, the agape of God, the church will never reach her high calling. We must learn to agree to differ and stay in covenant relationship. We must learn to have differing views on all sorts of interpretations of the Bible and the way we do things without it affecting our covenant relationship. Non-negotiable non love. It doesn't depend on what you present to me. I've said it before. I have determined to stay in a covenant relationship with you. And it does not depend on you loving me. I am responsible for my own loving it's tough. You've got to be loved. It's a hard one. As I said last time, when I love someone in the body, I've determined I'm going to stand with them, regardless of what they're displaying towards me, because I see who they can be. I am committed to them, and I am in covenant relationship with them by the blood of Jesus, whether they return this covenant love or not. Love doesn't need to be loved in return in order to love. That is Eros. So we must come to the place where our love for each other isn't negotiable. Whatever difficulties we encounter in relationship terms must be resolved with the foundation of love still intact. We must allow our hearts to be stretched and like those wineskins we mustn't, they mustn't burst in the stretching. We must be flexible but allow ourselves, our inner man, to be stretched, to contain all the fullness that God seeks to pour into us without bursting. We can agree to disagree and not break covenant with each other. When we break covenant, we're simply showing our immaturity and we'll have to go through the whole process again, probably at a higher level. It's a challenge to all of us. I speak to myself in this word. I'm not there. God is in the process of taking us from insecurity to vulnerability. You will get hurt, and then you'll get hurt again. So get healed. Get up. Continue the race. Don't sit there looking at your knee. Stand up and run. In his book, The Three Battlegrounds, written many years ago now, but uh, uh, something that I would really recommend you read, Francis Frangipani says this, and I quote, Is your love growing and becoming softer, brighter, more daring and more visible? Or is it becoming more discriminating, more calculating, less vulnerable, less available? This is a very important issue, for your Christianity is only as real as your love. A measurable decrease in your ability to love is evidence that a stronghold of cold love is developing within you. Guard against unforgiveness. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will go, grow cold, Matthew 24:12. A major area of spiritual warfare that has come against the church is in the sphere of church relationships. Satan knows that a church divided against itself cannot stand. We may enjoy temporary blessings and seasonal breakthroughs, but to win a citywide war, Jesus is raising up a united citywide church. An earmark of this corporate overcoming church will be its commitment 
to love. Yet because of the increasing iniquity in the end of the age, true Christian love will be severely assaulted. There is no spiritual unity and hence no lasting victory without love. Love is a passion for oneness. Bitterness, on the other hand, is characterised by a noticeable lack of love. This cold love is a demonic stronghold. In our generation, cold love is becoming increasingly more common. It shuts down the power of prayer and disables the flow of healing and outreach. In fact, where there is persistent and hardened unforgiveness in a person or church, the demonic world, known in Matthew 18.34 as torturers, has unhindered access. The scriptures warn that even a little root of bitterness springing up in a person's life can defile many, Hebrews 12.15. Bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. Another's thoughtlessness or cruelty may have wounded us deeply. It is inevitable that in a world of increasing harshness and cruelty we will at some point be hurt. But if we fail to react with love and forgiveness, if we retain in our spirit the debt the offender owes, that offence will rob our hearts of their capacity to love. Imperceptibly, we will become a member of the majority of end-time Christians whose love is growing cold. Bitterness is the most visible symptom of the stronghold of cold love. To deal with cold love we must repent and forgive the one who hurt us. Painful experiences are allowed by God to teach us how to love our enemies. If we still have unforgiveness towards someone, we have failed this test. Fortunately it was just a test, not a final exam. We actually need to thank God for the opportunity to grow in divine love. Thank him that your whole life is not being swallowed up in bitterness and resentment. Millions of souls are swept off into eternal judgment every day without any hope of escaping from embitterment. But you have been given God's answer for your pain. God gives you a way out. Love. As we embrace God's love and begin to walk in Christ-like forgiveness, we are actually pulling down the stronghold of God's of cold love in our lives. Because of this experience, we will soon possess more of the love of Christ than we had previously. Love without commitment is not love. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Matthew 24, 12, 10 to 12. He goes on, Allow me to be perfectly clear. There is no such thing as love without commitment. The measure of one's love is found in the depth of his or her commitment to others. How often have we heard people say, I loved once, but I was hurt or I was committed to Christian service, but they used me. When someone has withdrawn his commitment to a relationship, he is withdrawing his love. It's not one's commitment that grows cold, it's their love. It may not seem like they have become cold, they may still attend church, sing and look Christian, but inside they've become hard and separated from others. They have withdrawn from love. Because their commitment is shallow, they will be easily offended. Jesus said it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, Matthew 18:7. In your walk there will be times when even good people have bad days. As long as you live on earth there will never be a time when stumbling blocks cease to be found on your path. People do not stumble over boulders but stones, little things. To stumble is to stop walking and fall. Have you stumbled over someone's weakness or sin lately? Have you gone back and continued loving as you did before or has that fall caused you to withdraw 
somewhat from walking after love. To preserve the quality of love in your heart, you must forgive those who have caused you to stumble. Every time you refuse to forgive or fail to overlook a weakness in another, your heart not only hardens towards them, it hardens towards God. You cannot form a negative opinion of someone even though you think they may deserve it and allow that opinion to crystallize into an attitude for every time you do an aspect of your heart will call cool towards God. You may still think you are open to God but the scriptures are clear. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, 1 John 4.20. You may not like what someone has done, but you do not have an option to stop loving them. Love is your only choice. What do I mean by love? Firstly, I don't mean tough love. I mean gentle, affectionate, sensitive, open, persistent love. God will be tough when he needs to be, and we will be firm when he tells us to be. But beneath our firmness must be an underground river of love waiting to spring into action. By love I mean compassion that is empowered by faith and prayer to see God's best come forth in the people I love. When I have love for someone I have predetermined that I am going to stand with them regardless of what they are going through. I am committed. We each need people who love us, who are committed to us in spite of our imperfections. The fullness of Christ will not come without Christians standing with each other in love. We are not talking about salvation, but growing in salvation, until we care for each other, even as Christ has committed himself to us. Many people will stumble over little faults and human weaknesses. These minor things are quickly pumped up by the enemy into great big problems. Oh, how frail are the excuses people use to justify withdrawing from others. In reality, these problems, often with a church or pastor, are a smokescreen which masks the person's lack of love. We need to overcome our hang-ups about commitment. For no one will attain the fullness of God's purposes on earth without being committed to imperfect people along the way. Well, as soon as I find a church that believes as I do, I will be committed. This is a dangerous excuse, because as soon as you decide you do not want to forgive, or God begins to deal with the quality of your love, you will blame your withdrawing on some minor doctrinal difference. The kingdom of God is not based on mere doctrines. It is founded upon relationships, relationships with God and because of God with one another. Doctrines only help to define those relationships. We are not anti-doctrine, but we are against empty doctrines, which seem like virtues, but are simply excuses that justify cold love. The Greatest Commandments an expert in the law once asked Jesus which was the greatest commandment. His reply was wonderful. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Mark twelve thirty to 31 Jesus said that the second commandment is like the first. When you love God your love for others will actually be like your love for God. <coughs> the more you unconditionally love God, the more you will unconditionally love others. To those whose attitude is, I am content with just Jesus and me, I say it's wonderful you found Jesus, but you cannot truly love you cannot truly have Jesus and simultaneously not do what he says. The outgrowth of love and faith in Christ is love and faith like Christ's, which means we are committed, even as he is, to his people. 
You see, the kingdom of God is most perfectly revealed in our relationships with one another. We are being perfected into a unit, John 17. To have the kingdom, we must be committed to one another as individuals and as churches. If Christ accepts us while we're still imperfect, we must also accept one another. The people who possess the kingdom of God in its reality are people who overcome the obstacles of each other's faults. They help each other to become what God has called them to be, the living body of Jesus Christ. Remember, the goal of pulling down the stronghold of cold love is to see the oneness of Christ's body revealed. You will be challenged in this, but if you persist, you will discover the height and depth, the length and breadth of Christ's love. You will become a body filled and flooded with God himself. That ends the quote uh, from the Three Battlegrounds uh, by Francis Frangipani. I really would recommend that if you get no other book for 2011, you get that one and start to live